0: Thank you, Kathy. Good, good morning, everybody. Would you pray with me once, one more time? Father, we uh, gather in the name of Jesus, and I pray that as you reveal your truth here this morning, that I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart that seek to reveal those words would be truly, truly right in your eyes, be truly pleasurable to your soul. Father, I pray that my words would be your words. I pray that for Jesus' sake and all who hear, in his name I pray, amen. You know, one of the first things that we taught our children when they were old enough to know it uh, was we would teach them, you know, who the right baseball team was to root for, but after that it was their name, right? We wanted them to know their name. We wanted them to know uh, our names, right? Terry and my name, they, they wanted to know our names first and last, and we would teach them their address, our address, right, and we would teach them our phone number, and and, and remember, this was a while back. It was not today when three-year-olds have cell phones, so it was our landline number that we would teach them, right, so that in the event, heaven forbid, they got lost, then they could tell people who they were and and how to get a hold of us, right? I mean, that's why we taught them those things. They're important things, especially when you're raising kids in today's world. But let me ask you this question. What, what would you think if, if we gave them the wrong information? Right? Like, like this. You know, we moved here 27 years ago from St. Louis area. And, and what if when we moved here, Catherine was seven, Alex was four, and, and Emily was two. What if we just didn't give Alex the new address? Either we forgot to teach him the address, or we didn't think it was important, or maybe it was just because he was the difficult one. For for whatever reason, we decided we didn't teach him the right information. What what would you think of us? Well, I mean, probably at best you'd think we're irresponsible, right? And maybe at worst you might even report us to DCFS because we really didn't care for him. But it wouldn't be right. I mean, we would say, well, that's kind of dangerous. But I would argue that we do the same thing as parents when it comes to God in the Bible. Either we don't think about it or we don't think it's important. And I would argue that it's, in a lot of ways, so much more important than teaching them their address. It's teaching them who they are. And sometimes we, we don't do that because we ourselves growing up were never raised in a house that knew about Jesus. And so I was never taught what it was about who Jesus is. And I'm, I'm still just, I'm just learning myself. Or, or maybe you were brought up in a household where you were sent to Sunday school and then to the confirmation, and it was the church's job to educate you as to who Jesus was. Right? And those are all good things at the time. And maybe then you, you yourself, were you, you memorize things like the creed and the, and the Lord's Prayer. And those are all good things in and of themselves. But they're all invitations that, as we said last weekend, that beckon us to understand who Jesus is, to understand what they teach about him, but really who it is he is. That these, these creeds and these teachers help us try to understand, not just what he says, and not just this Sunday school picture of who he is, and not just a confirmation picture, not just a creedal picture of who he is, but a true picture of who Jesus is, and that comes through his word. That comes by encountering him, this person in his word. The creed that we've been studying is an invitation to a person, and he reveals himself in this word. And the reason it's so important, just like it's important we teach our children their right address, Right? We need to teach them the truth about who God is because everything else is teaching us something that's a lie. The truth about Christ only exists here and who he says he is. And the thing we see about Jesus is when he came, he turned everything upside down. But there continues to be this teaching we're told, and Satan is the is the author of that teaching in our world, and everything is in contrast to the Jesus of Scripture. And so we grow up, either intentionally or unintentionally, with this picture of Jesus that is kind of a a culmination, kind of a hodgepodge together of what I learned in Sunday school and what I learned on the playground and what I learned on TV and what I learned on Sundays. And we mash it all together and we have our own doctrine, our own theology, and in some ways it's not the Jesus of the Bible. Because we've never taken time to actually read his word or spend time there. We memorize things, but we don't really know what they mean. And it can have a huge impact on our lives, on our kids' lives as they grow up. Let me give you a a really practical example. You guys know this name, right? Martin Luther. If you don't know him, he's the catalyst, really, for the Reformation that began in the 1500s, reforming the church and bringing the church back to the Word of God. But see, Martin Luther grew up in what is now Germany, it's Germanic people, and he was grown up in a family that was Catholic, and Roman Catholic at that, and so he was taught his creeds, he was taught these things, but he never actually read the word himself because there was no Bible in his language. It was in Latin. But also he grew up in a household where his family, and in that area, was common for people to believe in, in spirits in the forest, like sprites and fairies existed in the forest. And so there was this mashed together that his mother would teach him about what was, what was in the Bible about Jesus, but also these fairies and sprites. That led. And so you can understand how his picture of Jesus might have been a little bit warped, might not have been biblical. But he was bright and intelligent, and he, he knew things. But that didn't really help him, as it turned out. He got his masters at age 22, and then he decided to go into the monastery because he wanted to live a holy life, and so he thought the monks could teach him how to do that. But what, they was ta- what he was taught in the monastery was you need to pray seven times a day, you need to confess your sins, you need to do the Mass, you need to have communion, you need to do, 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 do all these things in order to be holy, in order to be acceptable to God. But then what he started to learn over time was he couldn't do this stuff. And he became miserable. He became angry at God. In fact, one of his... Biographers, Roland Baton, said this about him. He said he had this picture of, of Jesus that was like this warring, avenging angel that we see in sorry, that we see in the in the book of Revelation. We see this picture of, uh, in the book of Revelation of Jesus coming as a warrior with a with a spear coming out of his mouth. And Luther said later, he goes, I myself was driven more than once to the very abyss of despair, so that I wished I had never been created. Love God? I hated him. Martin Luther in like fifteen fifteen. Just hated God, was so angry at him, was so afraid of him. He was at the point of despair. And so what do you think his his mentor did? He gave him the responsibility to teach the Bible actually dive into God's Word to see what God's Word says. And Martin Luther thought he was nuts. He said, you would pick me? (laughs) This depressed monk who's angry at God? Someone who hates God? You want me to teach these younger monks about God's Word? Yeah, that's what I want you to do. And so he sent him into the Word, and he gave him the, the task of teaching the Psalms. And for two years, he gave lectures on the Psalms, and he explains later that as he explored the Psalms, he started to see Guess what? A different picture of Jesus. Especially in, in Psalm 22, where you get this picture of this suffering servant. And he's like, wait a minute. I, I, I was never given that picture. Of, I never saw that picture. Even if he read it, he couldn't see it because his whole mindset saw something completely different and he couldn't see the truth. But now that he's actually teaching it to someone else, the scriptures come alive and he gets this different picture of Jesus. And then it extends as he gives lectures on Romans. And Paul keeps telling us, telling him this picture about this God who's just, but how he punishes his, his justness sin, he punishes in his son. And he's like, wait a minute, that's not the Jesus I've been angry at. That's not the God I've been angry at. And then he studies and teaches Galatians, and his whole mind just explodes. And he sees this picture of Jesus in God's word that he'd never seen before. And it turned his whole life upside down. And and I would say it it reformed the Christian faith, and it's had an impact that exists today. Some 500 years or more later, this this Augustinian monk changed the world because his teacher sent him into the Word. See, the same thing that happened today, folks. The same thing that happened today as we get into God's Word to see not just the rules, not just see about Jesus. As we said, it's one thing to know about him. It's another thing to know who he is. And so as we read the Apostles' Creed, it's it's an invitation, remember, to understand who he is. Not just about him, but who he is. Because who he is, when we come to know him, will change your life. And it will destroy that Sunday school picture you have of Jesus. Not that that's a bad picture. It's just an incomplete picture. It's an immature picture, because that's what we do for children that are younger. We give them an immature picture, but we grow them up, and we teach them more, and we teach them more so that they have a mature understanding of who Jesus is. And we continue to do that our entire lives. The Apostles' Creed is that creedal formula. It's a brief statement about who Jesus is. But it's a beginning. It's a reminder. It's a great reminder If you can't study and can't memorize great sections of Scripture, you can memorize these things, and maybe they'll drive you in to Scripture. Today we're looking at the second person, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And in the Creed it says, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. We're confessing that Jesus isn't just a man. That he is the Son of God. Born of the Holy Spirit. He was a man. But equal with God. That's what we are confessing. Not a a good man. Not not just a prophet. Not just good teaching. But actually God himself. That's what we're saying. When we confess this creed. And we also see in this creed. That who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Right? That, That... Angel Gabriel coming to Mary. And so we get a glimpse of Christmas, right? Born of the Virgin Mary. That's what we're confessing. Born of the Spirit. Birthed by Mary. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. That's Good Friday. We see the things that Jesus did. There's a big skip there, but here are the things that teach us about Jesus. That he didn't just come into the world to teach the world good things. No, he came into the world to humiliate himself, to humble himself, and to serve mankind, and to place himself under us. See, so he turned the world upside down. In order to receive honor, you submit. You surrender your life. And he says he surrenders his life to the Father for our sake. And he goes even further. He descended into hell. Peter tells us he descends to declare victory over death, to declare victory over Satan. But then on the third day, he rose again from the dead. See, everything else could happen, and it would be a great story. But if this day, Easter Sunday, doesn't happen, all of that is nonsense, but it does happen. And since it does happen, everything changes. We get a picture that God didn't just do this for himself. He did that for us. And that we could have life as he had life, right? And then it goes on to say, and then he ascended back into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from there, he will come to judge the living and the dead, which is one thing Martin Luther got right. We see that he will come and he will judge and so in this picture, in this creedal formula, we see this brief picture of Jesus, a picture I would say that we find offensive. If we're honest, we find it offensive. Because the picture Jesus gives us is the way up is down. The way to freedom is surrender. The way to honor is is humiliation. Instead of serve to be served, to be served is to serve. We need to serve others. Rather than looking for our own happiness, we look for the hap- give happiness to others. In order to find our lives, we lose it. And that's offensive. It's offensive to us. And I would argue it's large and part offensive to us because we don't know him well enough. We don't trust him well enough. We know what he teaches. We just find a hard time doing it. Because I would argue we don't know him. And that's why he came, is so that you would know him. But see, this, this creed that we we're speaking of, it's not just these thoughts. It's actually birthed from the pages of Scripture. All of Scripture teaches this about Jesus. And so rather than go out throughout different pages, I want to bring to you this picture of the Son of God, this picture of Jesus Christ that we see in Scripture that we heard read just a few moments ago by Kathy. This picture that we get in the Creed, we see in these same verses in John. Where do we get that idea of who Jesus is? Jesus himself gives it to us. And we see it in the very first verses, right? They're persecuted because he's... He's he's healing people on the Sabbath. And so Jesus says this to them. In his defense, Jesus says, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Jesus as God is not an invention centuries later. It's not something we have to look at and kind of work our way back. We just need to go back to Jesus' own words and see what he said. He said, I am the Son of God. And they knew exactly what that meant. John says, because he was saying he was equal with God, that he was God. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was claiming to be God. God. And that is blasphemy in their eyes. Jesus himself was making himself equal with God, calling himself God by calling himself the Son of God. And they knew exactly what he was saying. Now, don't you think if they got it wrong, don't you think Jesus being Jesus would have said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, that's not what I meant. You, you misunderstood. But see, he didn't say that. He, he told them exactly what the truth was. That he is God incarnate, that he is the Son of God and equal with God. And they were not ready to hear that. Jesus turns the world upside down because we see how he was living. They saw who he was living with, and that just can't be. But see, there's more going on here than that. Do you see what he says? He says, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. What are they angry at him for? For healing on the Sabbath, for working on the Sabbath. But do you hear what Jesus says? Well, if you're telling me I'm breaking the Sabbath, well, then God's breaking the Sabbath. Because he's constantly working. He works Sundays, too. Or Saturdays, in this case, too. And so if if I'm breaking the Sabbath, then God is breaking the Sabbath. Is that what you're saying? But see, they didn't catch that. But that's what he's saying, because he and the Father are one. And so if you're saying, I'm breaking the Sabbath, well, then God is breaking the Sabbath. So there must be something wrong with our interpretation of what he meant by that, maybe. Could it be But Jesus is teaching them but they don't have ears to hear or eyes to see? But it doesn't stop him from teaching them. And then he goes on to say this. He says, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. What does Jesus mean? Again, he's going back to the before. He says, the Father works, I work. I don't do anything by myself. I do what the Father does. What do we say about Jesus in the, in the creed? He was born of a virgin. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and was buried. Descended into hell. That didn't just happen to the Son. That happened to the Father as well. Jesus doesn't do anything by himself. What he sees the Father doing, he does. He sees humble and gentle Heavenly Father humiliate himself. By serving us. It's not just the Son who's humiliated. It's not just the Son who serves. It's God the Father who is serving us as well. He's giving us a much bigger picture of God and of Himself for all who will hear. And then He goes on to say this For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, Even so, the Son gives life to whom he pleased to give it. Now, don't read that, that the Father has a list and Jesus has a list. Remember what we said. The Father and Jesus are one. Whatever the Father does, the Son does. It's not like they have different ideas. They both give life. It's not just the Son. It's the Father who gives life through the Son. To the people that God will call to the Son. To those who will have ears to hear. See, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to give life to dead people. That's what the Father's about. See, Jesus is testifying to who God is, to who he is. And the purpose for which he came was to reveal the truth about God. And that's found in him as we look at him. So when we look at him, he says to Philip, if you've seen me, Philip, you've seen the Father. He is humble Because you see humility in me. He desires for you to have life because I desire for you to have life. The Father and I are one. But then he goes on to say, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Remember I said, this is what Luther got right. See, we see in Scripture a time will come in Revelation where Jesus will come on that horse. He will come with a sword out of his mouth. He will come as God's avenging warrior. And he will defeat sin, death, and the devil, finally, for all time. That's the one thing Luther got right. But see, Jesus himself testified to this, that that day's coming, but that's not today. Jesus stood up in the synagogue in Nazareth and said, as he recited the words of Isaiah 61, it says, this is the year of the Lord's favor, where the blind will see, The deaf will hear. The prisoners will be set free. This is the year of the Lord's favor. This is the time where God is no longer counting the sins of the world against us. This is a time where God is calling people unto himself through the person of Jesus Christ to reveal to them that God doesn't hate you, that God loves you. And he did all of this for you. Before you were ever conceived, he sent his son into the world to die for you. Before you ever decided to believe in him, before you ever decided to turn away from your sins, before you ever could turn away from your sins, he died for you. God died for you. Not just the man Jesus, but God experienced the death through the man for you. And he calls you to him, to himself. And this is what he calls us to. Jesus says that you may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. If they weren't angry at him now, they were seething in their hearts. Because Jesus is saying, just as you worship the Father, you must worship me. And, and when you have that wrong picture of who Jesus is, we'll, we'll make the same mistake they made. And, and we'll, we'll hold off our hearts from him. We'll, we'll kind of wall off parts of ourselves. And in their case, they walled off their entire self because they could not bring themselves to worship the Son because they did not see him as God. When he cl- clearly claimed to be God. And then when he was raised from the dead, that's all the proof they needed. But they still couldn't see it because the picture that they grew up with could not overcome the truth about Jesus, the hardness of their hearts. And it wasn't going to be revealing to them their sin. It was going to be the love of Jesus through his death and resurrection that would break the the crust on their hearts. It is the love of Christ that that calls us to him. Jesus calls every one of us to him, to learn the truth about him in his word. And who does he call? Everybody. Everyone. He doesn't discriminate. If you don't know him, he says, come. If you know little, he says, come. If you know a lot, he says, come. Come to me. Why? Because everything we live in, everything we've put into our head from the time we were little, everything that's been put into our head since the time we were little, other than the Word of God, is preaching something other than the Word of God. And we just can't see it. But it's only the Son that can reveal it. It's only the Son that can give us the true picture of Jesus. And this is what Jesus says to us in Matthew chapter 11. He says, Come to me, all of you who are, who are, bur- or who are laboring and, and are heavy laden. Right? There's an assumption here. Those of you that don't come to me are anxious and fearful and tired and angry. And, and you have no rest. Come to me, all of those you who labor who are struggling to find peace and rest and purpose in this life. Come to me, you who have been, had this burden placed on you that says you are what you do and how much you have in your bank account and all of these things that are in this world, all of these things that identify you, all of those burdens that you must clean yourself up. You can't do this and you can't do that. And if you do this, well, then you've got to do this before you come to Jesus. He says, no. Come to me regardless of where you are, come to me. You who are burdened, you who are laboring, come to me, and you will find rest. Not just physical rest, but rest, he says, for your souls. A deep soul rest. As we rest in in who we are and who Jesus is, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Stop trying to find this truth, learning from things out here, learn from me. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we gave this picture of this yoke that would be placed on oxen, this wooden like brace that would go across their necks. And it would be used to bind them together so that they could pull this plow through the field. right? And, and remember a couple of weeks ago, we said that Jesus is down there in the dirt. He's on one side of the yoke, and he's calling us down into the dirt, underneath the yoke. And he says, when you do that, you can come next to me and follow me and learn from me but in order to do that you're going to have to come down you're going to have to come off of your high horse and you're going to have to come down you're going to have to give up trying to find honor in yourself and come down you need to leave that life in order to find your life it's not just a parent's job to teach our children in this church it is our job to come alongside the children in this church. We need to come down on Sunday mornings. And we need to teach our children, the children of the parents who are trying to do this by themselves, and we need to partner with them and come down and serve at 9 and and worship at 11 or worship at at 9 and serve at 11. But we need to come down and not see that as demeaning ourselves. We follow after Jesus. He says, come next to me and learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. But here's something else he tells us that he tells us nowhere else in the Gospels. He says when we do that, here's what we encounter. We encounter the heart of Jesus. This is the one place in all the Gospels where he describes his heart. And Remember in Scripture, the heart of a person isn't this emotional seat, isn't this physical heart. It's the person. It's what is at the core. It's who they are. And Jesus says, for I am gentle, can be translated meek and lowly in heart, humble in heart. Who experiences the meekness of Christ, the humbleness of Christ? Everyone who comes to him. Everyone. When you come to him, you find meekness and gentleness and humility. You don't find a finger pointing in your face. You don't find judgment. You don't find condemnation. You find Jesus, who is gentle and lowly in heart. And when you do, he says, you will find rest, true soul rest. The way up is down. Jesus turns the whole world upside down. And it's offensive, but it is the way to rest. It is the way to true life. It is the way to joy. It is the way to contentment. It is to come down with Jesus and partner with him and let him lead us and teach us. It is for our benefit that we do that. But not just for our benefit. He does that in us so that we could be a benefit to others. Remember the picture of, of the oxen coming through the, do- the dirt, you know, with the plow. You know, when that plow goes through the dirt, you see this, like, divide. You know, the earth kind of heaves up on both sides, kind of causing, like, this wake. There's, like, an earth wake in the dirt as the plow comes through the dirt, right? It leaves this wake in its path, right? And and I love this picture that Dane Ortlund paints in his book Gentle and Lowly, where he talks about this God, this Son of God, who is gentle and, and humble, And I love this picture that he gives us. He said, only as we drink down the kindness of the heart of Christ will we leave in our wake everywhere we go the aroma of heaven and die one day having startled the world with glimpses of divine kindness too great to be boxed in by what we deserve. He says, when we come drinking of Jesus when we come to the meek and the gentle and the humble person of Jesus he says, within us He creates a new heart, and and as we go through this life, in our wake, we leave the aroma of heaven. We give the world glimpses of the divine kindness of Jesus. But see, far too often, in our own strength, we go through life, and in our wake, we leave corpses. Relationships. We leave things in our wake that we never des- des- desire to leave and so jesus says come to me come to me drink of me learn of me and as you do in your life will be produce much fruit and in your wake you will leave the aroma of heaven and give the world a glimpse of him that it very rarely sees it so desperately needs to see the true Jesus in each of us. And we are pointing everyone to Jesus so that they can really truly understand who he is, so that he can change their mind, that he's not this judgmental condemning God. One day he will come and that will happen, but until that time, we are called to go and to, and to tell the truth about Jesus. You know, that changed Martin Luther's life. In fact, this is what he said later in his life. He said, he who sees God as angry does not see him rightly, but only as on a curtain as if dark cloud has been drawn across his face. See, it was only when Luther encountered the person of Jesus that his whole picture of Jesus changed. The God who he used to hate, he used to be so angry at, now he loves dearly and gave the rest of his life the rest of his life, helping us see the true picture of who Jesus is. And as a result, the world has changed because he's doing exactly what his teacher told him to do, exactly what the teacher told him to do. See, God is still at his work today. He's still at his work in each of us, but he's calling us every day to himself because he wants us to leave in our wake these aromas of Christ, the aroma of heaven. Come back next week. We're going to talk about how How in the world we could do this? Where does this power come from? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you and praise you and and rejoice at your name. Rejoice that you are the God of all, the God of my life. But Father, we also confess to you that I often want to be my own God of my life. I do not want to humble myself. I do not want to come down in the dirt I think it beneath me. Father, I confess things things to you this morning because you are faithful and just and to forgive. and, And at the same time, we hear your words calling us back down into the dirt. Father, we thank you for your continued patience with us, your love of us that never runs out. Father, we ask you this morning, continue that work in us. Continue to break up the dirt that surrounds our heart.